Welcome to episode 34 of the DC Drop, where we talk all the news from this week in DC movies, TV, and comics. I'm Tom. And I'm Zach. So let's talk about some Shazam stuff, as difficult as that is to say. Shazam, we got a sneak peek. It's basically a just under one minute teaser that was released this past week onto YouTube. A new look at the film, mostly new footage. Overall, Zach, what'd you think? This this feels like it's a lot longer than one minute, just because the amount of really, really cool stuff that we get in this trailer. There's so many cool like special effects moments that obviously they probably weren't done with the last time they released footage and especially like him jumping off the the roof, yelling Shazam, getting hit by lightning and transforming. That that's just an amazing shot. But I I really, really like this trailer. I think it does a really good job of setting the tone of what this movie is gonna be. Yeah, yeah. Just a quick teaser. I think it's because there's so many quick cuts and short scenes and little snippets that it maybe it feels longer. Whereas the the full trailer from Comic Con had almost not quite full scenes, but full lines of dialogue and lots of stuff. Uh, yeah, this looks fun. This looks great. I like what I'm seeing here. We get to see more visual effects, like you said. Uh, we get to actually see some action. We get to see some Shazam super speed, some flying Savannah and Shazam both flying and fighting in air and doing all kinds of other things. Uh, some things that have touched up on looks good, and they're they're playing up the fun factor. With uh, he's not so serious, probably a nod to the Dark Knight, uh, which is cool. It's fun, and yeah, I like what I'm seeing here. Yeah, me too. And it it had again, it had the good humor, especially the part at the end where they're they're wanting to buy a lair. Like this is and him trying to buy beer. Those are just two like what would what would really happen if a kid, a real kid in the real world, was given the ability to be a superpower, like a superhero? These are the things that would happen if he looks like an adult and he's a superhero. He would try to buy beer. He would try to buy a lair. And I, I just think it's it's looks like a lot a lot of fun. Yeah, it does make me wonder: Has Billy Batson never been into a gas station before and not know where <laughs> to find the beer? Uh, but that's a funny gag, so it, it right. doesn't really bother me. But Freddie Freeman is probably already one of my favorite supporting characters in this universe. He just looks so so much fun, so great. I like that. You know, talking about the lair overlook, you know, a castle overlooking the water. He's <laughs> he just looks like he's going to be great, and I'm I'm already a fan of what's going on with Freddy, and I think he'll be a ton of fun. I'm, I'm almost looking forward more to him than anything else in the film, looking forward to Freddy, because I think he'll be a ton of fun and a superhero fan and, and stuff like that. That'll be neat. Yeah, I think his his interactions with uh, Billy and Shazam, like Captain Marvel, as he's as he's transformed and as his kid, I think the interactions between them are going to be definitely the highlight of the film. Absolutely. Those, it looks like those two will get a lot of time together. Uh, director David F. Sandberg shared on Instagram a closer look at the uh, the seven deadly sins. A closer look showing things up there. I thought that was pretty cool to see a better look at them. Uh, the seven deadly enemies of man is what they're usually called. And I thought it was cool. I went back and looked at Wiz Comics number two, the first appearance of Captain Marvel back in 1940. And it's it's always been the same. That's a really cool thing of Shazam, Captain Marvel's origin and seeing him walk in that's how it always goes you walk in to the left you see these giant statues of the seven deadly enemies of man and at the end this long hallway whatever you call it there's the wizard trying to give a, a little boy powers uh it's just crazy how something like that has changed so little over the years even though a lot with this character has changed yeah it's really sticking to the the roots the original origin of this character but obviously updated the the statues in the film look a little scarier than maybe the original drawing from from Wiz Comics number two, but that's to be expected. Yeah, absolutely. Next up, we've got some news about the budget of Shazam from The Hollywood Reporter. So it's believed to be in total in the, the 80 to $90 million range, and that 
that doesn't seem too surprising to me. What about you, Tom? Yeah, I, I'd actually, it's slightly surprising. I, we expected low. We were thinking maybe 110 to 125, 80 to 90 million, if that's accurate. And this is, seems more like speculation or not speculation, but they, they don't have a final number, but they've got a good idea of what it is. That seems a little low. Um, I'm not surprised. We thought 110, 125. It's basically got that April new line release date that it usually goes to the rock movie that is in the 110 to 125 million range, San Andreas or Rampage, something like that, which I guess if you take out 20 million for the rock, this number shines about right yep. to what it would cost. Um, but that is, if that's true, even if it's 100 million, um, 300 million worldwide would make this film a, a success and have a chance for the sequel. So that's good, at least. Yeah, that's good news. And I, I hope that I I, th- I really do think that, you know, all signs are pointing to this is this has a chance to be a, a pretty big hit with some pretty wide appeal just because it is something so different in the superhero genre. So hopefully as we get closer, more and more people will get interested in this film. Yeah, I don't think you need 200 million for Shazam, mm-hmm. uh, but I just hope it doesn't look cheap. And from what, what we've seen so far, I think it looks it looks like it's well done. So I'm not really worried about that. Um, it does make me wonder how short this will be, if this will be a little bit shorter. I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the hour and 40 something minute range. And I'd be more surprised if it was significantly over two hours. Uh, and like we just talked about with the Shazam origin, it's kind of simple and quick. So you don't need a lot of time for that. So I think you could do this in something under an hour and 50 minutes. Yeah, definitely. And like, like I said, with the, the wide audience appeal and that includes children, having a two and a half hour long movie is not going to be quite as appealing uh, for little kids to sit through. Whereas like you said, an, an hour 40 hour 50 movie is a lot, a lot more digestible. They also had a, a note about the cost of the Shazam costumes and they said they're believed to be 60 to or $70,000 each, not 1 million, like was probably speculated about. But so I, I don't know about you, Tom, but basically this says to me that now I just have to convince my partner that we don't need to buy an, a new house we just need to buy yeah. a Shazam costume. And that's like, that's within, that's within our range of possibility. So that's, that's pretty exciting. <laughs> that, that's one, you know, it might cost more for the first one to get it custom fit to your dimensions if you're looking for that. Um, but yeah, it's uh yeah, there was a quote about a costume designer saying it was, they thought it was a million and then there's 10 costumes. So everybody thought they spent $10 million on this. I think, I don't know how much costumes cost, but I think maybe a million total for the 10 costumes sounds like it makes a lot more sense especially the first one there's so much r&d that goes into it um but yeah it would be crazy to think if there were 10 million out of a 90 million dollar budget went to the costume of one character even though it's really important for that suit to look good yeah also i just want to make a quick note i am i'm the same size as zachary levi i i've been working out so i I don't think there needs to be any adjustments are you sure you're not zachary levi I, I have never been in the same room as him at the same time, so I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, we also got set visit reports. So these are from when they were actually filming in April of 2018 to be specific. So I'm not going to get into a ton of details on this. Uh, we've got a couple of reports from Joe Blow and Collider, but there's a lot of stuff we've already heard. Zachary Levi didn't initially want to audition. Um, I think we're going to put a moratorium on the comparisons to big meets superman because we've heard that roughly a thousand times so we don't need you don't need us to tell you that again but uh, some other interesting stuff and i'm not going to get into any of the story stuff it sounds like a lot of it was from the first act the story points that they did reveal but i figure you will either read that or wait until the movie to be surprised by that stuff but it does sound like we know it's 
heavily influenced by the new 52 run. But Sandberg did say that it's not just a comedy, and he compared it to films from the 80s like Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, and The Goonies. Yeah, and that's that's good to hear because all those films definitely have some weight to them. They've got good dramatic elements kind of lightened up with with comedy and, you know, just kind of fun goofiness. And there's definitely like laugh out loud moments in all those films, but there's also some pretty nail biting action and tension. So that's that's good to hear that that's kind of what he's molding it after. Yeah, those are all funny, but not just straight comedies, like you said. And Jeff Johns once compared said Shazam could be like the Goonies, but with magic. And yeah. I think you see a little bit of that influence both in his new 52 run in this film where you see the focus on the the family of characters there, the foster family. So uh, a couple kids getting into do some superhero stuff, which is different from the Goonies, but similar premise. They also debated on whether the film should take place in Fawcett City or Philadelphia. So new 52, it took place in Phil- Philadelphia. Fawcett City has happened a lot in DC Comics. It's kind of a nod to Shazam captain marvel originally being a fawcett comics character i always thought that was kind of neat but as a nod to its original comics but it doesn't bother me one way or the other that they settled on philadelphia yeah that's that's not a huge deal there was also a quote from zachary levi that i saw going around a lot uh he was specifically asked about superman and so people took this as confirmation that henry cavill is still definitely superman or anything um i will stand up for the the reporters because first off this was from april of 2018 and the question or what the reporter said was tell that to Henry Cavill and Zachary Levi said, Oh, well he's still Superman and stuff. But that was in response to the previous question where Levi was talking about how he didn't feel worried that his character would die off because his name was in the title. And then, right. so it was kind of a joke that the reporter said, um, tell that to Henry Cavill. But a lot of people were taking that as something offensive. So I just wanted to point out that, uh, this is from April of 2018 and has nothing to do with anything presently related to Superman. Yeah, exactly. Moving on, Patty Jenkins uh, briefly talked about Wonder Woman in an interview with Vanity Fair that she did. Uh, An article says that Wonder Woman 1984 is set in the 1980s because that is when Jenkins became a fan when she was in like sixth or seventh grade. So that's that's pretty cool to have that personal connection to the character in that that time period. I thought that was interesting. They didn't get a direct quote from Jenkins about that, but I I think that's kind of interesting to see. That's that's why I wanted to set it because that's when it was big to me. I think that's interesting, but I'm excited to see the AD setting of it. Yeah. As she said, I have pretty clear plans for Wonder Woman 3. Whether I direct it or not, I see how her arc should end in my incarnation of Wonder Woman. I have great passion for that. I'll just go on the record and say I haven't seen Wonder Woman 1984 yet, but I'm I'm going to go ahead and say I want say that I want Patty Jenkins to direct Wonder Woman 3 as well. Yeah. And from this, it kind of sounds like she already... She wants to. If she's got ideas, I'm sure she wants to direct it. She might do another project in between like she did here, but I think she wants to. And I want to see that as well because uh, I, I like what she's done with the character so far. Um, but it, it's interesting how she how she says that, uh, how the arc should end in my incarnation of Wonder Woman. It seems like a lot of people have the thoughts of thinking trilogies now. I know look, thinking of the Dark Knight trilogy, the... Spider-Man films, there happen to be three. Uh, Marvel does a lot of trilogies and then focuses on other characters. What do you think? Do you think that they WB should look at this as we're just going to do three Wonder Woman films? or And then maybe we'll see her in team-ups or elsewhere or anything like that. Or do you think they should keep it open-ended, not like the Dark Knight Rises, the Dark Knight trilogy, and leave it open-ended where we could see six, five, six uh, Gal Gadot Wonder Woman films? What do you think about that? Yeah, it, it's tricky. I 
and I think we'll probably talk about this a little more when we get to the, the Toby Emmerich uh, comments that we have later, but I think it really comes down to like the creative vision that the actor and the director and the, the story writers have for that character. If they can tell a fantastic story that wraps up in three films and Gal Gadot is fine walking away then with and says, you know, this story's complete. I don't want to do this character anymore. I'm not going to be upset because... I want their I want them to be passionate about it. So but if they have four or five good stories to tell, if they want to go past the trilogy and they're passionate about telling that story, then that's perfectly fine. So really that's a roundabout way to say just let them do what they want. So if she wants to do a trilogy, I'm okay with that. Well, hypothetically, Patty Jenkins could have an arc that ends in her third film, but then she could step away. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, do you want it to be left open or do you think Patty Jenkins should be able to end it and close the door for future Wonder Woman films in the short term? I think she should be allowed to end it the way that she wants to to end it. And if if it ends in such a way that it basically seems impossible for somebody else to pick up and then do another Gal Gadot Wonder Woman, if it serves the story, that's okay. If she's just doing it because she doesn't want anybody else to touch her character because she likes the way she's done it, then that that would be a bit of a problem. So I guess it's it really comes down to like towing that line of of doing it well. Um, but. I don't think they should prescribe that everybody now has to do a trilogy or everybody has to fit within some sort of parameter like that. I still think like it should be pretty unique per per character, per per director, per um, artistic team, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I'm I am a little more split on it than you. I think I think um, obviously I'd be ecstatic just to have a trilogy of Wonder Woman films, but if you look at the big DC characters, if you look at Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, those characters. Those all, I think, could support a multi-film, a big ongoing franchise, something like Harry Potter or Hunger Games or Twilight or, or something like that, or even James Bond, which which they do a little bit differently. Um, I think they could all handle like big, long, more than three films and all have so much mythology that they could do more. Um, so I'm, I kind of like leaving them open-ended, whereas going with something like The Dark Knight Rises or Logan, for example... Um, I think those are cool. You can tell the final stories and people like those, but I also think there's more to them and more ongoing. So, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I think it's an interesting hypothetical. What if Christopher Nolan didn't do the dark Knight rises or it ended differently. And that film continued on into the current, that film series continued on into the current DCEU or things like that. If that was all left open, I think it's interesting hypothetical to talk about. Yeah. I think it's hard when you're recasting the character to not do like a hard cutoff and make it make it something different because like if Nolan hadn't finished that trilogy but they still didn't have Christian Bale would you want like would that be the same Batman really that is continuing on the story if it's a different actor or I, I just I have a hard time with that yeah I, I yeah it gets into tricky things yeah. when it it's when you have an ongoing universe but you're also giving a lot of creative freedom I think it's just a, a tricky thing to consider because I think you and I both agree there's more than three Wonder Woman stories to tell. Oh, yeah. But another thing with DC, you know, those big characters could all have a bunch of films, but then there's also a bunch of DC characters that are in development. And so where do you draw the line with, we're going to make only movies based on the big characters, but then, you know, we want to give the smaller characters their due too. So I, th I think it's really complicated to juggle all that. Definitely. Uh, let's move on to the Flash kind of uh, production has probably been delayed further. So it was expected to begin filming in March of 2019. We remember back in October, it was pushed to fall of 2019 filming because it wasn't going to be ready before Fantastic Beasts 3 filmed in the summer, 
which would create a conflict with Ezra Miller. Now Deadline is reporting that filming on Fantastic Beasts 3 has been pushed to late fall of 2019. So depending on what other projects Ezra Miller has lined up, The Flash would have to basically be in pre-production now, heavily getting ready to film for them to do The Flash beforehand. So it's most likely that if and when there is an Ezra Miller-led Flash film, it won't film till 2020 at the earliest. Yeah, and that's, you know, I was already kind of just disappointed by like how long we we have to wait for the flash film because i love ezra miller's flash so much and the farther and farther it gets pushed back i i think the less likely it is that we actually see just a flash solo film led by ezra miller either a different actor comes in or they they make it a team up with cyborg or a a teen titans something or they just do another big team up movie that has the flash in it i really don't know what's what's going to (laughs) happen with that but it's the farther and farther it gets pushed back, I, the the less likely, in my mind, it is that we're going to see this movie anytime soon, obviously. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Abs- yeah, absolutely. You know, any film that hasn't filmed is got a less and less chance of filming. I mean, this film is a film that was supposed to come out in March of 2018. Right. It has had multiple directors attached, lots of ongoing changes. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say we'll never see this or anything. I think Aquaman's success shows that people are still interested in those characters that have been shown up there. But uh, I, you know, I think there's a lot of other films that could, for whatever reason, this has had more trouble than others, whether it's because of the TV show or other issues, whatever. Um, I, I'm not, I don't want to sound all doom and gloom that we're never going to see this, but this is something that it's, it keeps getting pushed further back. And like you said, the, the more and more it keeps continuing to get pushed back, the less likely it is to, to happen. And I, I really just feel bad for Ezra Miller out of all things, because he's a really talented, yeah, talented actor. And he's just had to deal with delays on this, you know, keep your schedule clear for six months at a time. And, oh, we're pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back. And that's tough for a, for a big, talented actor like that. Yeah, that's the other. It's a, a, a bad, like, it's it's bad, but it's also good. Like, because Ezra Miller's so good, I, I he's just going to be keep getting becoming a bigger and bigger star i think and harder to like you said tell him that hey you can't do anything else because you need to do this so i think it's going to be harder and harder to to nail him down to a schedule right he was he was announced for the role in 2014 and we i mean he has been in three films but very little in two of them and and you know a you know one of many main characters in another film so uh yeah it's, it's a difficult situation but WB chairman Toby Emmerich was asked about DC movies with The Hollywood Reporter. You alluded to this earlier and basically asked what the success for Aquaman means for the DC universe. And so what he said was, we all feel like we've turned a corner now. We're playing by the DC playbook, which is very different than the Marvel playbook. We are, less, we are far less focused on a shared universe. We take it one movie at a time. Each movie has its own equation and own creative entity. If you had to say one thing about us, it's that it's always has to be about the director's. Uh, so really, that tells us almost nothing that we haven't yeah. heard or haven't heard for a couple of years. Uh, for the most part, you know, they they always say one film at a time, one thing, one creative entity, all of that. Uh, focus on the directors. They, that's the company line for a long time. So not really anything new. Uh, it's interesting that he says we are far less focused on a shared universe. I think they've obviously been playing that down for a while. I, you know, I hope one of the quote unquote lessons of Aquaman's success wasn't that, oh, we should just do solo movies and focus on individual characters because I think we all realize the potential in team up films and I personally like having a shared universe. So that's a that's disappointing. But I hope they 
you know, every, every film has to stand on its own and I'm all for that, but I still think it can fit within a shared universe. Yeah. And my, I'd say the most optimistic read of this and what what I'm going to try to do right now is when he says we're far less focused on a shared universe and then goes on to talk about how each movie has its own equation and creative entity. I think that is, it's because he's comparing it to Marvel, you know, any Marvel film that you step into is it's going to have a pretty similar like visual look and kind of story arc. And they've, they've perfected that, that pretty well. They've, they've done a good job of keeping their look consistent between films. And I think the optimistic read is that every one of the DC films, even if the bigger story fits into the the big universe, the big shared universe in a way, visually and stylistically and, and even tonally, it's going to be different because they're giving their creative teams more freedom. Um, but still, the story will will fit within the bigger universe. So that's I think that's the optimistic way to read that. Yeah, that's a that's a fair point. I do. You could maybe argue with me whether creative freedom is, that allows more creative freedom. Um, I, I don't think that's as big of a deal as what you, I think you can have creative freedom within a shared universe like you were referring to there. But I, I wonder from a business perspective, just it seems like just to since we're on the Marvel topic, it seems like Marvel could literally put out a movie called Bag of Rocks on the screen right now and it could make mm-hmm. $600 million minimum. That's not a dig at Marvel. That's just saying they built up the fan base. They've got earned audiences trust over the years. And so, you know, pretty much anything, even if it's doesn't directly tie into whatever the big crossover it seems like people know this character or this story is going to come into play in a future film and they've earned the audience's trust so x number will show up no matter what and if you're going to separate like that i think that each movie has to you know each movie is only as good as that movie is with with dc's strategy so you're almost starting from scratch with a fan base because if aquaman's great that doesn't necessarily mean anything for shazam because it's a completely different uh, creative team and everything like that and and doesn't really have it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going anywhere and so just to compare it to something it seems like you know the risk is one of them turns out to be solo a star a star wars story where it doesn't really tie into anything doesn't really have anything to do with it it's a well-received movie but for whatever reason people just weren't interested in it and it doesn't do as well so that you would think star wars would have a higher minimum for what uh higher box office minimum but if you're gonna go do a film there's a film that has nothing to do with anything it's on its own and it's on its own thing there's potential that one can bottom out yeah and that's a that's a really good point and you know this is how like movie studios that don't have huge intellectual properties like this that are a big universe this you know this is just like what a normal movie movie studio does is all their films are their own thing and it's riskier because like you said you're you're basically building up the hype, building up the fan base for each film individually. There's you're not like having a lot of shared hype between it because the stories aren't tightly interconnected or they don't know what they're getting into when they go to watch a film. And it's a riskier way to do it, but sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't. So it's I mean, yeah, it it does kind of seem it seems a little I don't know what the right word is, a little silly maybe to have like this huge universe and then it almost feels like you're not taking advantage of it if you're if you're trying to make it so that every film stands perfectly alone by itself and doesn't need any of the other movies um, and feels completely different from every other movie. But if that is their if that's their intention, then they need to let that happen like completely and really really give full freedom. But I I don't know I I think I agree with you that it does seem like it seems like definitely the riskier way to do things and maybe not necessarily the way I would do it. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of different 
different ways to do it. I think you can make films that stand on their own while also while also fitting into a larger universe and larger story. And, and it is a juggling act, but I think you can do that. And ultimately what matters is if these films are films that people want to see and are good, right? Because you can have a, a movie that combines all the films that came before it. And if people don't want to see it or it, it isn't well received, then you can have a disappointing box office as well with something like Justice League. So, you know, that's a, a shared universe. Doesn't mean the shared universe will automatically lead to success, but I think the, the potential is a little higher there. and. Like I said, ultimately, if these films are good, then they can succeed on their own. That's more important, you know, whether it's in a shared universe or not. I think the films need to be good first. That's the first priority. And then you can argue what's the best way to handle things from there. Yeah. All right. Let's get on to some quick TV news. Jesse L. Martin, Joe West, is going to be returning to The Flash from the medical leave, according to TV line. Very exciting. He's going to be back in episode 15. He is yeah, he, always missed. Yeah, he's a great part of the team. And it's, it'll be great to have him back. We also got um, some casting news for Black Lightning. Jose Sanchez, uh, who has started in the game, has been cast in a recurring role as ASA operative Marcus Bishop, and so he's going to be coming back when Black Lightning comes back. We also got some first looks um, for Supergirl and also Young Justice Outsider, so we got a look at Nicole Maines, suited up as the, the Dreamer. Uh, she's going to appear in episode 11, Blood Memory. Got a look at John Cryer's Lex Luthor. He's going to be in episode 15, A Brother Where Out Thou. And then we also got a first look at Cyborg and Young Justice Outsiders um, from IGN. So what do you think of these these different first looks, Tom? Dreamer has, you know, the stylized standard CW type costume, but it looks good. looks cool uh, for the most part. I like it. Uh, Lex Luthor, it looks like John Cryer with the, with the shaved head and a beard standing in a, a prison. So I don't have a ton of ton of stuff on that it's kind of creepy the way he's looking at me but yeah uh he can he can do that and cyborg i'm just i'm glad cyborg's finally going to show up in young justice he's he and starfire are the characters that i've been most surprised hadn't appeared up until this point uh because their connection to, to the teen titans even though this isn't a teen titans directly show you those are characters you think we would have seen a lot of by now and so i'm glad we're finally getting cyborg yeah and the this animation of cyborg with the you know, the red like circuit lines running all over him. It's, that's pretty cool. Kind of like minimal, but also still pretty cool. And obviously lets you know that it's cyborg. Um, and yeah, otherwise pretty much agree with you. Dreamer's costume looks pretty good. I like her eye mask. They, they do something a little bit different with all the different eye masks. So I I like hers quite a bit. And then yeah, Lex, uh, John Cryer, if you know him from two and a half men, not necessarily the scariest person, but he definitely looks scary here. And I think it helps actually that you know him in like a, goofy comedic context and now you see him like this and somehow makes it just a little bit creepier <laughs> all right yeah and young justice outsiders is going to have its mid-season finale now on dc universe so episodes 10 through 13 are out now and then it will be on a bit of a break before we get the last 13 episodes of season three and in the comics there's been a little bit of a shake-up with dc entertainment it looks like some sort of structural shake-up and layoffs according to the hollywood reporter i don't know how much this is going to affect things for fans but uh seven employees out of 240 are laid off uh never like to see anyone lose their jobs never want to see that but uh three big vps uh senior vp of sales trade marketing john cunningham vp of consumer marketing eddie scannell and senior vp art director mark torello uh, who's been done a lot of artwork for dc over the years uh, have been laid off. So there's sort of a restructuring where there's editorial production and marketing and a new publishing support services. Those are the three big pillars of DC entertainment. And 
and DC Collectibles is being moved to WB Consumer Products, so it looks like it's kind of streamlining things. I don't know exactly how this is going to affect DC, but uh, it's big news in the, the DC Comics world. Yeah, I don't, I don't have much to add other than just I'm glad that I'm not important enough that if I get fired or, or laid off from my job that it like shows up in an article and everybody can read about it on the internet. So yeah, like you said, it's it's tough. I, I feel bad for them that they're they're losing their jobs, but we'll see if, if any big noticeable changes come from this. And longtime comic book artist and writer George Perez has announced his retirement via Facebook. So he's done some writing, most well known for his art. He's been in the comics industry since 1973, famously started working with DC Comics in 1980 with the new Teen Titans, very big deal. Uh, and he's known for his work on Teen Titans, Crisis on Infinite Earths, Wonder Woman, and you know, it'd probably be easier to list off the DC characters he hasn't worked on than the DC characters he has. He's done a lot of work for Marvel as well. Uh, I don't know, I'm not really familiar with his work there, but I know he's, he did a lot of work with the Avengers and some other stuff. Uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, if you want to get a look at some of his work, you can just see massive, massive panels of dozens and dozens of characters and, you know, all tremendously done art-wise, uh, very detailed and some some really, really great work and uh, one of the most well-known artists of, and really comic book history. Yeah. And he's got, he's got pretty awesome t-shirts and as well. So I'm just going to lay that down, but yeah, it's, it's cool. He's had a really good career and I hope his retirement treats him well. Yeah. I agreed. So that is all we have for today. Thanks for listening and we'll be back soon.